Aren't you happy that our God saves this morning? All right, let's say that again together. Our God saves on three. One, two, three. Our God saves. All right, if you'll reach and grab your Bible and remain standing this morning as we turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4 will be the setting of our text today as Pastor Chris concludes the four-week series on Jonah. We'll be in Jonah chapter 4, the title, When Will We Ever Learn? And we'll be using Jonah chapter 4 as the text today. Turn in your Bibles. If you need a Bible, there's a pew Bible right in front of you. You can grab it and listen along as I read. As Pastor Chris has been taking us through the book of Jonah in preparation of our World Outreach Celebration. Once again, follow along as I read Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons that it teaches us, the way we can apply it in our lives. Thank you for Pastor Chris and his study and his preaching of your word to us, that we would have open hearts and minds, not only to hear from you this morning, Lord, but uh, open hearts and minds in attendance this week at our World Outreach Celebration. We just thank you for your word and ask that we would just be uh, changed by it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good to have you here this morning, and it's good to know that our God saves, and that's really what Jonah is all about. But aren't you glad that God wrote the Bible instead of people like you and me? I mean, if I was writing the story of Jonah, it probably would have ended with chapter 3. I mean, how could you get a greater ending to a story? There's a God-glorifying, life-changing miracle of citywide repentance. Everybody said amen and let's go home. I mean, this is great. This is what you long for. After all, it... The mercy of God has been displayed repeatedly in this book. The disobedient prophet has fulfilled his commission to go to Nineveh, and he saw great success. So much so that Nineveh is no longer in danger of burning because of their turning. 
Jonah delivered the message, turn or burn. And I was going to have these pictures. Let's see, did they come up today? Did we get them? Oh, man, don't tell me again. You're, you're, you're killing me. There we go. Okay, there you go. I mean, this is a crazy message, and the world mocks it, right? The world makes fun of that. But, and sometimes, let's be honest, us Christians deserve uh, the mocking and sometimes because the way we come approach. But is the end is near? Is that a good thing or is that a bad game? Well, it depends on how we respond. We saw that last week. But here's the thing. The world may mock, but it is a biblical and life-changing message to repent. For you will burn if you do not turn. And so by the end of chapter 3, it appears that all of God's conditions that we talked about last week were fulfilled. I mean, the messenger has changed his willful ways. The message has been preached to call wayward hearts back to the Lord. The miracle of changed hearts has taken place. And the merciful God, in his mercy, has relented and changed his wrath and prevented it from falling. What more is there to say? What more is there to learn? Well, there's much more, in fact, and that's why there's a chapter 4 in the book of Jonah. The greatest lesson of the book has yet to be taught, and the prophet has yet to learn it. It has been hinted at all along, and we should be more than ready to learn it. But like Jonah... God must often look at you and I and think, when, when will they ever learn? J. Vernon McGee, a famous Bible teacher of the past, who you can still hear on the radio, said this, God had more trouble with a backsliding prophet by the name of Jonah than he had with an entire city of brutal, cruel, and pagan sinners. And that's true. Why does the story of Jonah not end with chapter 3? It's because there is a greater climax that awaits in the chapter that Zach read for us. The true goal and objective of the whole book arrives in chapter 4 because God must teach his servant and us with him the certain, the certain truth that our hearts are often narrow towards the lost while God has an abounding love and an an amazing grace toward sinners. Why is there a chapter 4? Because the heart of the problem is always the heart. The missionary problem, the lack of laborers in a harvest that is plentiful, but the laborers are few, the missionary problem is always a heart problem. It's always in here, always coming in here. Does my heart resent God's heart for people that are not like me? You see, the chapters in the book of Jonah are like peeling an onion, getting down to the heart of the problem. In chapter 1, Jonah is running, but we don't know why. In chapter 2, Jonah was remembering what it was like to be lost, but not really repenting. In chapter 3, he repents just enough to go and tell the Ninevites who are actually the true repenters in that chapter. And here in chapter 4, we peel back the onion to the heart of the problem. Jonah is resenting 
the compassionate heart of God. What is eating Jonah in chapter 4? It's a heart that resents God's great compassion. A heart that resents God's great compassion. Look again at uh, verse 1, reading here from the New American Standard. It says, it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And that word for anger shows up four times in this chapter. And it's a word that means burning anger. It literally says this in verse 1. It was evil to Jonah, a great evil, and he was burning angry. He was hot and bothered over what had just taken place. And what took place, God of mercy had turned a whole city to where they repented and he spared his wrath, his burning wrath. And Jonah's burning angry that God was that compassionate. Jonah was being consumed by the fire of the anger burning within him. Remember the idea of chapter 3, turn or burn? We had those pictures. Remember that idea? Well, Nineveh did turn, so they didn't burn. But Jonah is burning on the inside. He is hot and bothered by Yahweh's heart of compassion toward repenting sinners. And so, instead of reflecting the heart of God, he is resenting the heart of God toward the lost. Did you know you can have outward success as a Christian and in ministry and still have a heart problem? See, if you looked at the outside, Jonah was one of the most successful missionaries and evangelists in the history of the world. And he did what God told him to do, but he didn't do it from a heart that was submitted. When will Jonah ever learn? And more importantly, when will you and I ever learn to reflect God's heart of great compassion to the lost. And I would tell you this morning from this chapter, it's when our hearts are tender, when they are teachable, and when they're transformed. So let's take a look at that out of this chapter. Reflecting the heart of God. When will we reflect the heart of God? When we have tender hearts like our great Lord. When we have tender hearts like our great Lord. This is really what Jonah resented and was angry about. Look in verses 1 through 3 again. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry, burning angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Now we finally know why he ran in chapter 3. It wasn't because the Ninevites were so scary. It wasn't because he might be rejected by his fellow Israelites, it's because he knew the heart of God and he resented it. I said, therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents from calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord... Please take my life for me, for death is better to me than life. Oh my gosh, Jesus, uh, Jonah's problem was with the God that he knew. Jonah's problem was a heart problem. His merciful God had changed his wrath and it spared a repenting city 
of pagan sinners. You see, he knew the Lord was a gracious God, gracious and compassionate. He, God gave Nineveh another chance to repent. He knew the Lord was a patient God, slow to anger. God would give them time, 40 days. This is mercy, not getting what you deserve. But he also knew the Lord was a loving God, abundant in steadfast love, loving kindness, covenant loyalty. God would be faithful to show grace to those who did repent. And he knew that the Lord was a forgiving God, one who relents concerning calamity, the unchanging God who changes according to his word. You see, this is the one-of-a-kind true God. We sang his praises. We preach who he is. He is one-of-a-kind. There is no other God like this. But how did Jonah know this God? And I want to tell you, he knew Yahweh's tender heart by special revelation. You don't learn about this God by looking at the stars. You don't learn about this God by going up on a mountain and contemplating creation. You don't know about this God by looking inward and contemplating your navel and thinking about high and spiritual things. No, the only way you can know this God is by special revelation. He must condescend to us and reveal himself to us. And that's what he did to Moses in Exodus 34. He says this in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord God, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. He's taking this from the special revelation that Moses received from Yahweh, and then Yahweh had Moses teach that to the people. And yet, the Lord goes on to say in that passage, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Jonah knew all that but he chose to pick the attributes that he wanted and neglect the others. You see, he wanted just a God of judgment towards people that he didn't like. And then he wanted to reserve the mercy and the compassion for himself. He was picking and choosing the God of his own making. He was serving an idol of his own making. And yet, do you realize that In the chapter before that, Exodus 33, God said this to Moses. Moses said, please show me your glory. And here's what God said. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And then God says this, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words... I'm a saving God, but salvation belongs to me. And it's my determination, according to my character, according to my word. Jonah, you don't get to pick and choose who gets saved and who gets to hear. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Listen to me. Listen to me. There's only one way the 3.2 billion unreached people 
are ever going to hear about the character of the one true God. And that's when we take his special revelation to them. We must sin. That's why these folks are going. They're going so that the special revelation of the one true God can be proclaimed in the darkness. But Jonah also knew, not only by special revelation, but he knew this God by life and personal experience. You see, it's never enough just to know about God in our heads. We have to know him in our hearts. We need a holistic understanding of God that impacts our head, it moves our hearts, and it takes our hands and puts them into action. You see, those who have been forgiven much will love much. See, Jonah had forgotten that. And so God took him for a ride in the belly of that fish. But Jonah still, still had not learned that lesson. Jonah knew a lot about God. He was a great theologian of sorts in his head. God wanted him to have be a great missionary in his heart. And that's what God wants for all of us. We need to have sound doctrine and to be bold on mission. It goes together, head and heart and hands. Jonah knew the Lord, but Jonah didn't want to be like the Lord. That's the issue. Jonah knew the Lord, but Jonah didn't want to be like him in relation to lost people. Now, let me ask you a question. In the New Testament, Jesus has come and revealed himself to be Yahweh, to be the Lord, okay? How did Jesus relate to lost people? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 36 through 38, a great passage revealing Jesus' heart for the lost. This is what Jesus was like. Notice Matthew 9, 36 through 38. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with what? Compassion. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then guess what he does in the very next chapter? He sends them out. What I want you to see is the Lord had compassion that moved him to action. He saw, he felt, and he prayed, and he sent. We know this. We know this with our heads. But do we show it with our hearts? Are we passionate to show compassion and share the gospel with those who have never heard, whether they're right there in school or in the workplace or if they're in the darkest parts of the unreached world? We know the Lord, but are we like him in relation to the lost right here in Kansas City? We know the Lord, but are we like him in relation to our enemies? You say, well, Chris, I don't have any enemies. Have you never been hurt? Have you never been betrayed? Have you never been slandered? Have you ever been spoken against on social media? Are we willing to share the mercy and the glories of this God with those who have hurt us unjustly? 
and unfairly? Listen, no one, no one knows God like they need to and like he wants them to until he or she rejoices over what he rejoices and weeps over that which God weeps. When will we ever learn to have great compassion like our great Lord? In other words, when are we going to be less like Jonah and more like Jesus? There's the story of a drunk who was miraculously converted at a downtown mission, one much like our own city union mission. And prior to his conversion, this man named Joe had gained the reputation of being a drunk for whom there was only a miserable existence with no hope. But following his conversion to a new life in Christ, everything changed in Joe's life. He became the most caring person that anyone associated with the mission had ever known. Joe spent his days and nights hanging out at the mission, doing whatever needed to be done. There was never any task that was too low for Joe to do. If some of the drunks had vomited and left the bathroom in array, Joe would clean the vomit. If, if they came in in such a stupor that they couldn't undress themselves, Joe would undress them and put them to bed for the night. One evening, when the director of the mission was sharing the gospel to the usual crowd of drunken, out-of-it, sullen, and head-lowered men, there was one man who looked up, and he came to the front, and he knelt to pray, and he cried out for God to change him. And here's what he said. Oh, God, make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. And the director leaned over and said to this man, Son, I think it would be better if you prayed, Make me like Jesus. And this man looked up at the director with this puzzled expression on his face, and he asked, Is he like Joe? Is he like Joe? Because I want to be like Joe. Joe was like Jesus. Too often we know God, but we don't want to be like God in our daily lives, especially in relation to lost people. So what is the cure for a heart like Jonah's, for a heart like yours and mine? The answer is we need to cry out to the Lord like Jesus did and not like Jonah did in chapter 4. Don't cry out like Jonah in verse 3. Here's Jonah. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. I just want to die if you're going to be that merciful. Don't cry out like that from a heart of selfishness and resentment. Here's what he's saying. I'd rather die than have a heart like yours. Four times in verse 2, I, 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 I. In verse 3, me and my. He is a self-centered man who wants a God to serve him in his way and to be like him. Jonah had never really repented in the belly of that fish. He was merely obeying God outwardly, but not changed inwardly. This is the warning. It's possible to obey God, but to do so with a degree of unwillingness and anger that is really a mark of disobedience. 
You see, world outreach isn't about just giving and praying and doing all that so that you can say it's done. It's to see hearts transformed to where our heart is like his heart. You see, obedience is doing what's asked externally. But submission is doing what's asked from a right heart internally. The difference between doing it and doing it willingly and doing it joyfully. And so this morning, I pray that we will cry out like Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He cries out from a heart of sacrifice and submission. In Matthew 26... In the Garden of Gethsemane, we hear him pray, I'm willing to die for the lost because I have a heart like yours. Jonah, I'd rather die than have a heart like yours. Jesus, I'll die for them because I have your heart, because I am God. Matthew 26, 38 through 39 says this. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch, and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face. And here's what he prayed. Oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He didn't have a death wish. He didn't prefer to die, but he was willing and ready to die in order to provide his own life as a sinless sacrifice for sinners. He would endure endure in eternal wrath on the cross as the sinless son of God because he had that kind of heart for you and I and for the rest of the world. When will we ever learn to reflect God's heart of compassion? It's when we choose to be like our great Lord. Not my will, but your will be done. It's when we choose to have a tender, sacrificial, compassionate heart that is long-suffering with those who are hardened against sin. When we have a compassion that moves us to action. But to get that kind of heart, We need to have teachable hearts. And that's the second thing I want you to see. Teachable hearts learn the great lesson. There is a great lesson in this chapter. And God wants to make your heart teachable this morning so that you learn it. Jonah has yet to learn the great lesson of the great Lord that he's been trying to teach him throughout the whole book. Look at verses 4 through 8. The Lord said, Do you have good reason? Do you do well? Do you have the right to be angry? And then Jonah went out from the city. Notice he doesn't answer. And he sat east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to that city. And so the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy. First he was burning hot. Now he's extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm. And when the dawn came the next day, it attacked the plant and it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching, burning, hot east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, 
Death is better to me than life. What a cheery guy, right? This is is like the third time he wants to die. When will he learn? Listen, when confronted by the Lord's convicting question in verse 4, Jonah doesn't answer. He goes outside the city. He builds a shelter, and he waits for those 40 days. And here's what he's waiting. Maybe they will backslide like Israel has so often. Maybe God will change his mind. Maybe the wrath will yet fall. Again, J. Vernon McGee observed that the east side of the city where Jonah's at is on the hill country. Jonah wanted to be close enough to see the fire of judgment fall, but not so close as to get burnt by himself. And notice on the east side, he had come in from the west side, Jonah was in no hurry to go home. He wanted to see the wrath of God fall. And he goes to the east. Guess what? Adam and Eve were thrust out of the garden and lived in the east. This is a place of unbelief. This is a place of disobedience. This is a heart that is not the heart of God. At any rate, Jonah did not realize that the shelter he made was going to be used by God as a school of discipline to teach him one of the greatest lessons he, you could ever learn in all of life. How did the Lord teach this great lesson? He did like any good teacher would use. He used an object lesson. So let's take a look. The preparations for the object lessons. And here's the object lessons. The Lord appointed a plant, a worm, and an east wind. That's what we see in verses 6 through 8. A plant, a worm, and an east wind. He appointed a plant. This idea of appointing, decreeing, sovereignly controlling the heaven and earth in order to change the heart of his hardened prophet. Listen, this is the same word for preparing the fish. This sovereign God is still at work to change this man's heart. Aren't you glad? that God works sovereignly where we can't. And he will move heaven and earth to change and to bring that message. He prepares that plant. Jonah's shelter that he built was probably from cut branches that were going to wither soon and, and, and fall apart under that scorching east wind. But God brings a living vine. That's always the difference. You can provide for yourself, and it will be fleshly, and it will fail, and it will never last. It won't last the burning wrath of God's final judgment. Or you can take his provision, and it is life, it is living, and it is sustaining. And guess what? When God provides that plant, Jonah is extremely happy. He is rejoicing with rejoicing. Remember how this started? He was angry with anger. Now he's rejoicing with rejoicing. I mean, this guy is all over the place because that's exactly how you and I are. When you put your hope in your circumstances, your life is like this, up and down, up and down, and it changes as quick as your circumstances change. But when you're focused on the eternal attributes of our living God, who is the unchanging one, Then when circumstances change, yes, we have ups and downs, but you can stay steady because he stays steady. And even when you're not steady, 
he is still steady. God, listen, do you realize this is the first time this dude's happy in the whole book? He's, this is the first time he's happy. And he's not happy about people getting saved in chapter 3. He's happy about a plant that gave him some shade of his personal comfort. God not only appointed that plant, he appointed a worm in verse 7. And that worm eats away at the root, at the heart of the vine. This is a picture. God is trying to eat away at the corrupted heart of Jonah. And then God appointed this scorching east wind, a burning, searing, hot wind, and Jonah wants to die again. Jonah has not learned the great lesson. We are to fulfill the great commission with great compassion like our great God. He had been outwardly obedient, but he was resenting, resenting God's great compassion. Well, object lessons are fun, but they're meant to teach simple truths. So what are the two revelations from these object lessons? What is God wanting us to see? It reveals Jonah's heart to him, and it reveals our heart to us, but it also reveals the heart of God. So let's look at it. Jonah's heart, based on what happens just in overnight in these verses, is filled with pity for self. When God says, is it right for you to be angry over me saving an entire city based on their repentance and my grace? Jonah doesn't answer. He isolates himself. He sits. He sours. He soaks in his own self-pity. It's like your kids. When you rebuke them, you catch them wrong, and they just go over and, you know, do you know what you did wrong? The kid that sent to the corner, sit in the corner, and he said, I may be sitting in the corner, but in my heart I'm standing up. That's what Jonah's doing. He's fixed on material things. He's fixed on material things. This guy is a mess. Here's what happens. He's grateful for the plant, but he's not grateful for his God. He's fixated on the plant, but not on the people in Nineveh going to hell. He's focused on temporal values. He's very happy about the plant. Oh, I get some shade. It quickly grows up. And then he's very angry over the plant when it withers due to the worm. This guy is happy about what temporally is going on in his life. And then he's crushed when those temporal things are taken away. He's fervent. We could even say fanatical about pleasing self. I mean, this guy has great anger at God for what he does to others. He has great joy at what God did for him. And he has great sadness over things that have no eternal value. See Jonah. See him this morning sitting in a self-made shelter, soaking in self-pity, longing to see the divine destruction of sinners in his self-righteous anger. See my heart. See your heart. God sends a worm to eat the plant, 
And one commentator says it might have been the kind of worm that feeds off of that which is decaying and dying. What a picture of a self-righteous heart. It's dying. It's deadly. It's decaying. And God in his grace wants to send a worm to you through his word to eat away at what's destroying you. What is separating you from him and from his purposes around the world? What a picture. Remember the first time in the entire book Jonah is happy when he's sitting in his self-made personal retreat and God adds even further comfort of a shade tree so that this carnal couch potato can live in comfortable pleasure, letting others go to hell. God's great commission in chapter 1 didn't make him happy. God's great storm that saved pagan sailors didn't make him happy. God, the great fish, didn't make him happy. It saved him. It changed his outwardly, but it didn't make him happy. The second chance for the sinners in Nineveh didn't make him happy. Even the great revival that took place and the mercy of his great God didn't make Jonah happy. Nothing pleased him. But here at last, here at last, Jonah is rejoicing exceedingly. Why? Because God did something for him. That's the heart of Jonah. God was finally doing something for him. Selfish? Definitely. Petty? Certainly. Just like us? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And let me just say, there's nothing wrong with enjoying material and temporal things. But when you enjoy them at the expense of worshiping God, and when you enjoy them at the expense of going on mission to reach the world, then there is something wrong. There is something wrong. How do we know? How do we know if our heart is like Jonah and not like Jesus? Well, let's look at God's heart. God's heart in this book has been filled with pity for sinners. He had pity on the pagan sailors. He had pity on Jonah in his outright willful disobedience. He had pity on the Ninevites, who were some of the most violent, hardened people on the planet. And he has pity again on Jonah. Again, he has pity. He's fixed on spiritual things. He is fixed. People made in God's image. Listen, there's only two things that are going to last forever. People in the Word of God. God is focused on getting His Word to people. People. Listen, you can love things and use people. Or you can use things in order to love people and reach more people. God is focused on eternal values. People. The Word of God. Fourthly, God is fervent. Yes, we could even say God is fanatical about saving others. Listen, the sovereign creator in this book is moving heaven and earth, fish, storms, wind, plants, worms, scorching each east winds. He's moving heaven and earth because he has a value on not only saving people, but sanctifying them. Not only 
forgiving them, but giving them a changed heart. And he wanted Jonah to have a changed heart. And he wants you and I. This is the great lesson of the great Lord. Learn to reflect, not resent God's great compassion toward the lost. You know God this morning more than likely, but do you show God's heart to the lost? Be less like Jonah this morning and more like Jesus. When will we ever learn? We'll only learn when God transforms our hearts. And that's the last point I want you to see. Transformed hearts by the great love of our great Lord. You know, it's, it's sad but true. Jonah still did not learn the great lesson. Look again at verse 9. All of this has taken place. Verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason? Do you do well? Is it right to be angry about the plant? And he said, this time he answers, I have good reason to be angry, even to the point of death. Man, that is one hard heart. That is one hard heart. It's sad. God loves, though, to ask those questions. Why does God ask questions? Because it reveals our heart. God asks him a second time, Do you, are you right in this? And he does it to convict, but also to reveal what's on the inside. This is the second time God asks Jonah if he has a right to be so angry. In verse 4, do you have a right to be angry over the salvation of the lost? Jonah doesn't answer. Verse 9, do you have a right to be angry about the destruction of this plant? Yes, I do! To the point of death. And here it is. Jonah's last word in this book is death. That's his last word. Death. At this point in the story, Jonah would rather die than embrace the heart of God. What about you and me? Many of you have sat through all four chapters of Jonah. How far will you run from your responsibility like Jonah ran in chapter 1? How often will you fail to remember what it's like to be lost like Jonah did in chapter 2? How long will you reject God's great conditions like in chapter 3? And how far, how far will we go this morning in resenting the compassion of God? Will you go to the point of death without Christ? Will you go and live a subpar Christian life that is inward focused on your own comfort and your own cares? Here's good news this morning, that there's one who is greater than Jonah, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Yahweh, and he took that death on himself. He took on the curse of sinners and he bore their sins to the cross. And then he was buried three days in the ground like Jonah was in that fish. But he came forth as the sinless son of God, resurrected and is exalted at the right hand with all authority in heaven and earth. And he's the one who says to us, go make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank God that none of us ever gets the last word. Amen? The last word is salvation belongs to the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Here's the odd but true thing. It's odd but true, but God still not still would not give up on his prophet. Aren't you thankful for that? God hasn't given up on you. Look at verses 10 through 11. The Lord said, you had compassion on a plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left, and more than likely those are children who are not old enough to know right from wrong, as well as the many animals. The Creator even cares for His animals. Wow. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And before we close, let me ask this question. Did Jonah ever learn the great lesson? What do you think? Did you notice the book ends with a question? It ends with a question. Some say Jonah did learn the lesson. Why? Because the book of Jonah has been written. But others say, wait a minute, it's written in the third person, not the first person. But you know what? Asking whether Jonah learned the lesson is the wrong question to ask. Because it's all written to ask, have we learned God's great lesson? Have we learned to reflect God's great compassion? To go beyond knowing God's heart to showing God's heart. Becoming less like Jonah and more like Jesus. So I ask you this morning, where's your heart this morning? Where is your heart? Does it resent God's great compassion? And you say, well, Chris, I would never resent that. I would never hate people. But you know what? Our indifference and our apathy is the same as hatred when it prevents the word of God getting to people who need to hear it. So I say to you this morning, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Psalm 72, 12 through 13 says, the Messianic king will deliver the needy when he cries for help. The afflicted also, and he who has no helper, he will have compassion on the poor and needy, and the lives of the needy he will save. Listen, come bankrupt to the Lord this morning. Cry out to him for a transformed heart, and he will change it. With your heads bowed, and, and hopefully our hearts are bowed, let's pray this morning, just in the quietness right there, Lord, make me more like Jesus, less like Jonah. Not my will, but yours be done. God, not my heart, but your heart. Make me more like Jesus and less like Jonah. This is an opportunity that if you don't know him, you can cry out to him for salvation. This is an opportunity that if you have been hardened, towards the loss and God's mission. You just say, Lord, teach me this week. 
I'm going to come to World Outreach and I want a teachable heart. God, I want to come and I want you to transform my heart. Father in heaven, it's clear salvation belongs to you. All your goodness passes before us in the person of Jesus Christ and we are to proclaim his name to the nations. You will be gracious to whom you will be gracious. You will have compassion on those you have compassion on. And it's all based on your word. Prepare us for next week. May we kneel now in our hearts and be prepared for what you have for us. May we embrace your heart and be so filled with your compassion for the nations that they see it. They see that our God saves. We pray, O Lord, let the nations be glad in you like we are glad in you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.